Welcome to WMUR's The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. I'm WMUR political director Adam Sexton, and we're returning to our Candidate Cafe again in this episode. Through this series, we're looking to learn more about the candidates themselves and what makes them tick. In this episode, you'll hear some highlights from Marianne Williamson's back and forth with voters at Manchester's airport diner. Then I'll chat with the best-selling spiritual author on some topics of the day. Thanks for listening, and be sure to leave a rating and a review of this podcast after the episode. We'd really appreciate it. Marianne Williamson occupies unique space, not just in the 2020 presidential campaign, but in life. You officiated Liz Taylor's wedding. One of her. (laughs) I think it was her last wedding, actually. Those purple eyes were amazing. The thing about her that was interesting to me was every time I saw her after that, um... She, she was almost apologetic about the fact that she had gotten divorced <laughs> and felt she owed me almost an apology like that, that I hadn't tied a tight enough knot. You know? A best-selling spiritual author, Williamson told First of the Nation voters she's a big believer in what she calls the power of the morning. If you just spend a moment, send love to everybody you know you're going to see today. Send love to people you don't even know you're going to see today. Give the, ga- the day to the God of your understanding, whatever your whatever that means to you and it gives you a different you'll have a different nervous system Mm -hmm. you have a different nervous system otherwise you might have washed the dirt off your body but you haven't washed the stress off your mind while Williamson says she laughs at most of the impressions of her and the memes online she does think some of it goes too far um, this whole characterization of me as woo-woo crystal lady is simply not not who I am. But if she wins in 2020, she wouldn't be shy about bringing her style to the White House. We need to paint the Oval Office a pale pink, don't you? <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. I've looked at the Oval Office and thought, God, there are a lot of straight lines. It needs some ovals and some circulars. I would have no problem giving a feminine touch to the Oval Office. I think that would be a good thing to do. Adam Saxton, WMUR, News 9. Hey, Facebook recently made some changes. Now you're missing out on lots of content from WMUR. But it's easy to stay connected. Go to WMUR's Facebook page, tap follow, then see first. That's it. Just two taps brings you back in the know. Marianne Williamson, thanks for joining us here on our trail podcast uh, at the airport diner. Uh, So at the Candidate Cafe here, I was interested uh, to hear some of the interactions people, you know, you've helped so many people (coughs) through your, uh, your writing. They were interested to hear how you were helping yourself on the campaign trail. So I'm a follow-up to that. Uh, if you had to write a self-help book for presidential candidates, <laughs> where would you start? I once heard Michelle Obama say uh, in some interview in response to something about the president changing once he got in the White House, she said being president just makes you more of who you are. And I find running for president just challenges me to be more the person that I want to be to practice what I preach more. Everything that you are challenged to try to be and do in your life is only magnified when you're running for president. This is a leap of faith, obviously. Was it a bigger leap of faith uh, getting into AIDS activism back when uh, people were still unsure and there was so much fear and uncertainty around all of that? It did not feel like a leap of faith at all. It felt like the only possible thing to do. And I was not the only one who felt that way. Many, many people did. Um, It didn't feel like a leap of faith at all. It just felt like the demands of love at that moment. What was your approach to trying to 
kind of when people came at you with skepticism or there, there was so much fear at that time? and irrational yeah <laughs> back in the 80s and 90s around that how did you try to educate people about what you were doing and I got no or skepticism. you're just working on the people I got no skepticism mm -hmm. I was surrounded people who by people who felt as I did and to be honest that's the the gift of anonymity it's only when you become famous that people start the snarky stuff mm -hmm. Who is she? Who does she think she is? The same stuff which, before you're a public figure, makes people go, isn't that wonderful that she's doing that? Once you become a public figure, who does she think she is? You're the same person doing the same work. So when I was doing that work, it was too serious a moment for any of that. People were dying all around us. Everybody was just doing what we could. And also, I was living in Los Angeles. And the entertainment industry was deeply affected because so many gay people particularly. And all that anybody wanted to know was how can we help? Everybody, you were either devastated or helping someone who was devastated. That was life at that time in a place like that. And New York was that way as well. There was no room for all of that other stuff. Shifting gears here uh, to this race itself. The debates obviously create a artificial barrier uh, to yeah. continuing campaigns. How are you going to get around, if you don't qualify, these obstacles that are in your way in the next couple of months? Well, you campaign in the hopes that your, your popularity will rise. You campaign in the hopes that your donations will rise. And if I can make it to that next bar, then I'll be in debate number five. You know, you just keep going. Um, I had a very short period of time, maybe a day, when I didn't get into the third one, thinking, is this a sign that I'm to quit? Um, but it didn't last. People around me who I respect, people I would see on the street, they didn't say quit. They said keep going. If people continue to show up at your events, people continue to send money, then you're in the race. You know, those debates uh, do not determine. Now, like you said, they have they have a lot of power because a lot of eyeballs and a lot of, you know, a lot of power to push you forward to bring you back. But your absence from the debate of itself does not mean you're not running for president. Impeachment. Uh, you haven't been solely focused on President Trump. You have a lot <coughs> of things you talk about, but this is sort of an all-consuming black hole. Uh, first off, what is your stance on uh, the president's uh, interactions with the president of Ukraine and how the Congress should move forward? I did uh, last week uh, issue a statement saying that I support the, the work of the inquiry. Before then, I said that I, you know, Nancy Pelosi knows what she's doing. The House Democrats know what they're doing, the, the committees that are looking into this. But I have also been aware of the political risk involved. But as of last week and the Ukraine situation, you, 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 this is not about politics. This is about the Constitution of the United States and what appears to be the lawlessness of the president. So I do support uh, the continuation of the inquiry, and we'll see where it goes. And last question on the foreign policy front here. We've heard President Trump is going to be withdrawing U.S. troops from northern Syria, <coughs> uh, essentially having the Kurds fend for themselves uh, in that area, uh, and the Turks potentially coming in, and obviously they don't get along too well. Uh, what's your perspective on this? I believe that public policy should have principle, just like personal life should. And you don't betray your friends. You don't betray the people who have been there for you. The Kurds are such, such, uh, they have been our friends, they have been our allies, they have worked with us, they have helped us. I think whether it comes to withdrawing troops from Syria or whether it has to do with Ukraine, American foreign policy is not the toy of the president. It should not be used as a, as a, um, as a tool 
for the uh, American president to figure out what would make him most popular, what would make him uh, fire up his base. And my concern with uh, this particular ploy is that it is a ploy, and it's a deadly ploy. It will uh, distract, I'm sure the president hopes it will distract us from what's happening with the impeachment inquiry, that it will make many people go, yay, he's withdrawing troops. But the truth of the matter is this is a terrible and deadly betrayal of uh, people who have stood by the side of the Americans um, in very brave and meaningful ways. And I'm, there are many people in the U.S. military who are, who are distraught that this is occurring. Ms. Williamson, thanks for joining us on Thank The Trail. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for WMUR's The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. If you have a moment and can write a review or subscribe to this podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it. You can also find us on WMUR.com and our free WMUR app 24-7. See you for the next episode of this podcast next week.